To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. Today we are joined by writer, journalist, and documentary filmmaker Melissa Jira Grant. Melissa is also a staff writer at The New Republic and is recently back from book leave, but we've asked her here specifically to talk about her new piece, called Republicans are already trying to pass as many anti-trans bills as possible in 2022 that came out this past week. So, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on. Welcome to the death panel. Hey, you guys. Thanks. We're so glad to have you here today to talk about this piece that you just wrote, which offers a bit of a picture of what to expect this year from the ongoing campaign of anti-trans bills that are being proposed at the state level pretty much universally. And this is a trend that's been building over the last couple of years And something that we've talked about on the show, but as you point out in your article, Melissa, um, I'm going to just quote you here. The right has been remarkably consistent in recent years in its incremental state-by-state approach. Each year, the number of anti-trans measures multiplies from 79 proposed bills in 2020 to 147 in 2021, 13 of which became law. And as we talked about in the past with friend of the show, Jules Gil-Peterson, the vast majority of these bills either seek to prohibit gender-affirming care or to ultimately eliminate trans people from public life. So it's a much bigger picture than what it is often reduced to, which is simply a sort of quote-unquote culture war problem. Also, I think for context now, I think activists have tracked something like 280 or more bills that either are planning to be advanced or have already (laughs) been advanced uh, for for this legislative session. I mean, obviously, it's a problem that is... uh, exponentially increasing. In the summer, you called it a viral issue. Melissa, to start us off, can you talk a little bit about this piece that you've written for the New Republic and what it's arguing? I mean, it's self-evident from the title, which is, you know, Republicans are already trying to pass over 200 of these. Um, And as we'll get into later, there are a lot of parallels here between what is happening in terms of parent-oriented advocacy or the sort of protect the children rhetoric between anti-trans bills And also the kind of people that are advocating for let it rip and rolling back the few remaining COVID protections we have in schools. But before we get to that part, Melissa, can you just talk about how this has been escalating in recent years to sort of contextualize this for someone who may not have been following it closely? Yeah, absolutely. It's super overwhelming. I mean, I'm sitting here with a list of what I think between myself, Freedom for All Americans and ACLU South Dakota is like where we stand now for how many states in which these bills have been introduced and just the anti-trans specific ones. So things like uh, the bathroom bills or the bans on trans girls participating in girls sports or the healthcare bans, like you talked about other laws that make it impossible to change your identity documents. So like your ID, your birth certificate. Um, And then there's even some that require schools to disclose to parents. If kids come out Mm -hmm. as being trans or non-binary, we're looking at somewhere between 21 states right now where they've been introduced. So some of those aren't going to move. um, But this is sort of the strategy is just it's kind of like reminiscent of the anti-abortion strategy on the right too. just like let's throw tons of bills at tons of states. I think this might actually be more. um, But it's escalating every year so that it kind of creates this exhaustion. I mean, I really do think it's that's an explicit or implicit part of the strategy, perhaps explicit in the halls of organizations like Heritage Foundation, um, (laughs) who are a part of pushing this or Alliance Defending Freedom. But like, you know, the last piece that I did before I went out on book leave in August, I went to Texas um, at the end of their first 
legislative session. So people who are following voting rights stuff might remember that I think Texas had a total of four legislative sessions last year. Right. Um, and this year, mercifully, they're they're off, um, which is a whole other story for a state as big as Texas. Don't we have a state legislature meet every other year? We only come in, <laughs> we only come in to fuck shit up. Like, that's our yeah. only purpose. Like, when, when it comes to actually, like, doing work. Like a demolition like, team. It is, it is absolutely wild. Like, this was also my first reporting trip after I got fully vaccinated. So I, like, arrive in Austin, where the state capitol is, and there's, like, National Guard tents surrounding the capitol, and, like, people checking my vaccine card and giving out these, like, purple bracelets. Like, you were, like, I don't know, going to go to a show or something. Um, <laughs> and then I get in, and, like, no one's wearing masks who actually works in the legislature. Um, and there's parents who've been there at that point. This is the end of May you know, for months, and they would continue to be there at least through October. And it was just this ritual where, like, kids who were in school, though many of them were not physically in school because of, of COVID, um, which in, in some small way actually meant that, like, more kids could actually come out to the state house and do activism. And then their parents, some of whom were, like, ducking into hallways to, like, get on Zoom chats to do their jobs, they just basically moved into the Capitol for months and, right. and would have to go to these hearings and, you know, be confronted by these anti-trans people who would say the most, frankly, abusive stuff to their kids about their bodies, about their parents, like accusing their parents of child abuse, mm. um, really bizarre conspiracy theory types. You know, there were people there who had links to January 6th. It, it was a shit show. Like, I, there's no other way to put it. And everyone was really, <laughs> really tired of having to do this. And this was like, not the first time they had to do this. So like South Dakota, just to jump to the present, like they passed the first anti-trans law to pass this year. Um, and it was the first one that had passed since this campaign sort of began in South Dakota, which started there a little earlier than other places. So 2014. Um, and activists in South Dakota had pushed back every bill until mm -hmm. this one. And, and so it's, you know, it's no surprise that it's South Dakota with what we know about their governor, Christine Ohm. You know, she's sort of been campaigning nationally on this issue. But it's a really bad sign that a state that had managed to hold them back for all of those years um, has had one passed. And so now we're seeing states that have, like, rejected, you know, bathroom bills in the past, for example, that are moving. And states that are pushing for even more aggressive legislation than we've seen before, like one that was introduced in Texas last year and now has been introduced in some other states as well which would regard people who help kids seek gender-affirming care as participating in child abuse, whether that's their parents or, you know, a trusted adult who, like, you know, gives them information or, like, gives them transportation, anything like that. Um, it's We're already dealing with situations in some states where parents have been reported to Child Protective Services just for affirming right. their kids' gender identity. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's an incredibly scary environment where, like, the people who are the front line of this, which are essentially trans and gender nonconforming kids and their supportive parents, who are, there already aren't that many people who are going to be politically active in that group. It's getting harder and harder for a very small group of people to fight this back. And they are feeling really abandoned by the left and even by national LGBT groups. That's really interesting because I, I the question that immediately popped into my mind when I was reading about what's happened over the last few years is, the the fact that you know you you did have these bills stall out even in places where you thought they might have succeeded like Nome vetoed uh, a piece of legislation beforehand but i mm -hmm. think you know what's pretty clear from your reporting is that the reason that you might see those things stall out is not necessarily 
uh, and maybe you can confirm this is like it's not necessarily the like, OK, the a- activists like triumphed here uh, necessarily. And even if that's so, the the broader pattern is this persistence and sort of exhaustion. So I, I think what's what's really interesting for me and maybe one dimension of this that we haven't necessarily gotten into uh, before as much on on the, the the podcast is can you talk about what the kind of advocacy um, networks look like for trans people in these states. And like you're, you're talking about the sort of the broader failure of, of the left and even some LGBT activist groups, like exactly what is going wrong. I mean, part of it is obviously like exhaustion, but -hmm. also I think you've documented some sort of strategic missteps. And I wonder if you could talk about that. Yeah. I'll, I'll use Texas as my example because, you know, Texas is, maybe not necessarily known for this nationally, but has like a really robust community of parents of trans kids. There's also multiple clinics in the state and programs that are affirming of trans kids. So there's sort of like an infrastructure, at least on the health level, that I think has helped galvanize this like advocacy network as well. So you have parents who sort of come into activism through like helping each other sort of navigate these various health systems, whether it's like, you know, what are the tests that you have to take to get on hormones safely or like which therapists can we trust and things like that. Mm -hmm. So there's actually like a Slack group of parents in Texas who are having those conversations that then, you know, some of them, you know, move into sort of like formal positions in advocacy. Like there's, you know, a Texas based um, group called Equality Texas, which is sort of like a human rights campaign type chapter in Texas, you know, doing broad LGBTQ rights issues. Um, there's no trans people on, on staff and they are sort of like the front line um, for fighting these bills in Texas in terms wow. of like an organization that has like an office and phone numbers. Like most of the trans groups that I've encountered across the country, you know, that are local, you're talking about groups where like mostly it's volunteer led. There isn't a lot of budget. They might not even be a C3. They might be doing mostly like mutual aid work. I think Jules talked about this too when she was on the show. You know, like there's a tremendous amount of leadership at like the real grassroots, but it's not necessarily reflected even in like the big LGBT rights organization in town. Right. So, and, and, you know, and I have to give it credit to the, the ED at Equality Texas, Ricardo Martinez, who told me over the summer, like, yeah, we know we have to be better on this. We know that. And like, I think it was 2015 when there was a a campaign in Texas that sort of like was like a test case, I think, for what we saw going forward from the right. They wanted to roll back a human rights ordinance in Houston. Um, And this campaign, people have heard if they've heard about it, they probably heard about it under the name Hero. So they were successful in targeting this human rights ordinance, a very broad human rights ordinance, not just, you know, protecting trans people's rights, but LGBT rights, racial justice, it was very broad. Um, But they seized on the bathroom issue to sort of make this a boogeyman. Um, And you had very prominent trans rights activists and bloggers like Monica Roberts, who wrote at the website Transgrio, she's since passed away. You know, she was saying like, we're gonna lose if we aren't like confronting this directly. Like we can't just say like, oh, this bathroom thing, that's just like a culture war thing. That's just a distraction. Like Mm -hmm. we have to like directly call out what this is and we have to have trans people in leadership and we have to have them resourced and like that still hasn't happened even in texas where this was a fight Mm -hmm. right from 2015 going up to 2021 when i was there most recently so yeah the people who are are holding the line are like 
they maybe have never done policy advocacy before, and yet they're doing things like, you know, managing spreadsheets of dozens of legislators, coordinating office visits, getting their kids to come with them, also doing all this during COVID in a legislature where no one's taking COVID precautions seriously, um, having to quarantine them before they go back to school. Like it is, I can't think of like a worse environment for people to do this work than this moment during COVID. I think all kinds of activism has been blunted by that, but they were already not being very resourced and like feeling like this was like a totally anticipatable fight also. So right. that that's sort of the moment that like people are coming into this year. It's like every year it seems like we learn that we we don't have it together or we don't have the support to do this work. And yet we're going to show up anyway, because if we don't, like who will? Right. right. To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash pod. You'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron-only episodes. And be the first to get a new patron episode every Monday when it drops. With love, the Death Panel.